Well, hi everyone. My name's Raj. Today I'd like to share some of my thoughts about the wonder and beauty of building a multiracial community, the church. I'm part of the leadership team of Jubilee Church Teesside and we together have made it our passion to serve the poor and marginalised and vulnerable, contribute to our city and neighbourhoods, partner with churches throughout the world as well as bringing diverse groups of people together joyfully and purposely. We are a church of over 20 nations with 30 to 40% of our congregation originating from other countries. I'm also a GP and over the years my practice has contributed to the prison sector in addiction services, in severe mental health settings, in refugee medicine, in training GPs of the future and in NHS strategy and development. I guess the point of telling you all this is to underline that our Christian faith and influence is for the good of all is much bigger than just our Sunday mornings. But you know that already. God has a weightier agenda. And so in the midst of the tragic death of George Floyd in the US and all the emotions and reactions that this horrific killing has rightfully resulted in, the church has also its part to play in this change to anti-racism, to gracism as one pastor phrased it. For me, this, is a, this period of unrest has been a growing realization that although this isn't a new problem, as one journalist put it, systemic racism is the longest ongoing saga in American history. It certainly is a new opportunity for the church, for Christians, for you and me, friends, wherever we are. George Floyd did not die in vain. Quoting one theologian, there is something magnificently fitting in all this. For the first few centuries, a high proportion of Christian leaders were Africans. It all started in the first multi-ethnic church at Antioch, where at least two of the five leaders were black. Much of the theology of the early church was developed by Africans such as Oregon, Tertullian, Cyprian, Anathesis, uh, Cyril, and perhaps the greatest of them all, Augustine, to whom, the, uh, to whom Luther and Calvin looked to building the foundations of the first Protestant church, to which we today are heirs. We are here because, in large measure, Africans led foundations. And so I would like us to I'd like to share a few thoughts on this, a bit of our experience, if you like, of building multiracial church. Where do we start? Well, how about four theological tent pegs to support what we are putting up? Firstly, Ephesians 2 tells us that in Jesus, we are a new creation. We have a new spirit dwelling in us. We like that bit, don't we? But it means change. Because of our anti-racist, gracist, indwelling God, this new you, this new humanity looks something different than before. Dividing walls come down, conscious and subconscious. Um, racial barriers topple and fall in the unifying power of God, the Holy Spirit. Self-awareness of our past and present prejudices doesn't produce an unhelpful defensiveness in us, but rather a progressive repentance and faith openness in us to change and be changes. We become one. 
As, Denman, as Desmond Tutu said, for our own dignity can only be measured in the way we treat others. We must be radical. We must go to the root, remove, cleanse and cauterize that which is festering and then a new beginning is possible. Ephesians 2 tells us by the power of the Spirit, through the gospel of Jesus, we are one. But secondly, we also see in Revelation 7, God's ongoing purpose for a new humanity of every nation, every tribe, people and language. In other words, very, very, very different. A celebration, a party, if you like, of multicolour, interweaving, interdependence, ethnic and cultural diversity and distinctiveness. A lot of my friends over the years have said things like, I don't see colour in you, Raj. You're just Raj to me. And although I get their positive heart behind those words, the reality is I am different. My colour isn't just superficial, but deep, generational, historical, social, behavioural, psychological, experiential. My difference, your difference, brings something extra to God's beautiful world canvas. God doesn't want to blot that out. Neither do we. It's too precious. Multi-ethnic church is not monocultural church. Both one Ephesians 2 and different Revelation 7 at the same time, in fact. And thirdly, this one but different new humanity is played out where? In the church, through the church of Jesus shaping the rest of the world. Matthew 5, a city on a hill. When I first became a Christian 20 years ago, in the midst of losing the two most precious people to me, at the age of only 20, my mom died of breast cancer within a few weeks, age 50. My brother, around the same time, committed suicide, age 28. And in a culture where family was the cornerstone of all my hope and security, in the midst of all of that, God found me. I was welcomed into a bigger family, in fact, a glorious family. I found love and belonging that stunned me. Then, was the on, uh, uh, then I was the only uh, coloured person in the church. This is the treasure we have, friends, the eternal one but different, delight, dazzling, delightful family. As uh, Phil Moore, Bible pastor in London, writes, the fierce battle that has raged between the nations through world history has been turned to peace through the church. God's new multiracial humanity. Hallelujah. But working this out on this side of Jesus' return is tough. Like any family, relationships are fraught with danger. This path of one but different holy community is messy, slow, chaotic. There's potential for tension, there's friction. But hear this, our churches are God's plan A, where this stuff is and will be worked out in togetherness, joyfulness, perseverance, humility, word and spirit. Therefore, making this a priority in the church, keeping it on the table all of the time, not seeing it as a problem to address, but an opportunity to progress is of paramount importance and one of the greatest thrills of leadership. God wants you and me to change our mind on this. And finally, the gospel, the joy news of Jesus is the best answer. Jesus brings reconciliation like no one else can. God so loved our multiracial and multicultural world that he gave his one and only son to unite all the people groups of the world together in him. 
As Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said, Jesus Christ was up on the cross, hurting, bleeding, dying, looking down at the people, forsaking him, denying him, betraying him, and in the greatest act of love in the universe, he stayed for you. Meditating on a God like that can only lead you to loving those who are different to you. Those who are not your kind. Those who you have been generationally hostile to maybe. Those who you subconsciously discriminate against. And the church is the showcase of this to the world. It's an awkward conclusion. The church will get into difficulty with it. In many parts of the world, it will result in further persecution. But we must hold fast to this gospel because nothing else will do. An Iranian member of Jubilee, when he was back home in Iran, hated Afghanis. When he came to faith in Jubilee, he was surrounded by them in our church. Funnily, God also gave him a job working with even more of them. Gradually, he grew to see Afghanis with God's eyes. A love grew in his heart. Contemplating and getting to know Jesus changed his whole worldview. Why? Relationships change us more than any set of ideas and principles ever have. A relationship with God is the pinnacle of that. My brother glimpsed the grace of God in the church, in our church, which eventually became his church and which he eventually modelled in his world. His son does too now. And so our neighbourhoods don't need a milder, tamer, dumbed-down form of, the, of Christianity, as many people would advise us, tell us, no, it needs a deeper, truer, richer one. Hold fast to the gospel. So that's my simple framework, really, a theological foundation from which to build on one different, the church, a radical gospel. So what have we learned in Jubilee so far? A few, of the, a few things, really. None of them rocket science, but all of them challenging. Hopefully some of them helpful. Firstly, we need to know where we are going. An envisioning by God, if you like. Brian Stevens, on an, an American lawyer, social justice activist and founder of and executive director of the Equal Justice Initiative and a clinical professor at New York University School of Law, describes this envisioning as hope, actually. He says, the kind of hope that creates a willingness to position oneself in, in a hopeless place and be a witness that allows one to believe in a better future, even in the face of abusive power. That kind of hope makes one strong. As leaders, we endeavour to shape all areas of our church vision around God's future vision of an ethnically diverse, vibrant, joyful community where everyone benefits. We make that crystal clear. What we do isn't just for them, but for all of us. We all become richer by it, even in self-sacrifice. Being the nations, going to the nation, that, that needs repeating and rephrasing and re-emphasizing in leadership meetings, on Sundays, in prophetic contributions, in our songs, in our kids' work, in 
our creativity, in our sermon series, in our groups, in who we ask to lead and contribute, in the marketplace. It's often a shift. It's a faith expedition. It's something. It's sometimes a voyage into the unknown, out of our places of comfort, to live as Abraham did in tents, looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Secondly, empowering your brothers and sisters. This is essential both in representation and process. As an eldership team, we have a British guy from a Polish background, an Iranian ex-Muslim convert that came to the UK as an asylum seeker, myself an Anglo-Asian and a, and a young Brit with roots in Gibraltar. All of us want to cross culture. All of us have been through various degrees of racial tensions ourselves. We've seen it. We've had to work it out. We've all messed up big style and had to say sorry time and time again. We invite friends and listen to them from all over the world to help us out, share their experiences, hurts and friendship, prayers, their cultural intelligence and wisdom. Spotting your interculturers is key too. These are the people who thrive in this mixed environment. They have a God-given passion, creativity and skills to bring difference together. They see things positively. They are contagious. They inspire. They have the ability to move gracefully and attractively in various cultures. Spot who they are and place them in settings of maximal impact. Steve and Joe were one such white couple in our church. They loved to interculture. They were devoted to raising people's dignity and honour and value. They invited people to their homes to eat and sometimes to live. They visited others. Their whole family was taken on this journey. They sacrificed their own comfort to uplift those struggling with systemic discrimination and sometimes poverty. One early morning, Steve, along with a local GP who was not a Christian, I know, defaced a giant political billboard dishonouring immigrants. That was right outside where we met as a church. They did what was required. They were never passive. They were beautifully provoking to be with. You couldn't help be but changed by them. I mention an empowering process here too. People feel permission to contribute and move things forward in different ways. We need to unlock those ways. Community changes from the grassroots upwards and that needs leadership facilitation. Our rigid, time-worshipping, intensely scheduled meetings can be a real barrier to many. My Iranian friend Sarush generally only speaks when asked to. That's him honouring and respecting us. In the past, I've read into that differently. I've made my own assumptions, but I was wrong, so wrong. And so now I've got into the habit of regularly asking him his thoughts, even though he's free to speak at any time. But by giving him this space, I'm also showing him honour and value back to him, which is in a culturally meaningful way. Trust develops, communication changes and evolves. Also, inviting him to a three-course meal is a great way of hearing him, hearing him in deeper, empowering him, changing me, affecting the church. Usually it's McDonald's, by the way, but I'm, most, I'm sure most of the fast food establishments will work just as effectively. 
We had a 20-year-old guy called Eremias from Eritrea. He had a good grasp of English. So we asked him to interpret for us on Sunday. However, when we encouraged our Eritrean family to pray or break bread or read scripture, we found that they wouldn't do it. It baffled us. These guys love to worship and pray. Months later, we asked Eremias, are you translating what we're asking? And he told us, of course I'm not. I'm a young guy and so I can't tell my elders what to do. So he didn't. We learned something that day about culturally diverse empowerment and communication. Thirdly, enjoy, have fun together, get stuck into celebrations and parties and social gatherings and experience how different communities enjoy themselves. Joyful proximity changes the heart. It's a great insight into other people's worlds and a massive eye-opener to your barriers and scepticism. If you've, got any, if you've got any, let your hair down. I've been to Eritrea and coffee rituals in living rooms where the smoke alarms started screaming and the house nearly almost burnt down. I've been to Persian uh, New Year celebrations where I've danced uh, till my hips gave way from all the wiggling and jiggling. I've sat in um, makeshift saunas, then plunged myself into ice-cold ice swimming pools, nearly passing out, friendshipping with new converts who not so long ago were racist towards people like me. I've cooked with people, walked with people, sang with people, and jumped on trampolines with people. I've even eaten turkey porridge. Having fun breaks down barriers so quickly. Brian Stevens uh, notes, you can't understand most of the important things from a distance. You have to get close. Proximity has taught me some basic and humbling truths. As the church, we are looking for that space, two-way bridges for different cultures to cross, to mutually encourage, to hear the other stories of heartache and joys and dilemmas of different people groups and communities, especially the broken. Another friend of mine who we'll call Farod was a Muslim asylum seeker from Afghanistan who, when I first saw him, looked solemn and emaciated. His stare was stern and spoke of despair and tragedy. Indeed, as we got to know him, as he um, joined our Alpha journey, as he ate with us, as he spent Christmases with us, as we got to know his story, these things can't be rushed, by the way. Indeed, his life so far, only 20 years old, was a continuous series of death and abuse and separation. But through his friendship with the church, through the gospel, through his thirst for Jesus and what he said in the Bible, God brought healing and family back into this desperate man. Eventually, after a few years, his asylum seek case or unfortunately failed. In my final conversation with Farod, I was determined to counsel him about his safety and being careful what he reveals to others about his newfound faith in Jesus in the midst of terrible persecution. That was my agenda, but in those final words, that wasn't Farod's agenda. It wasn't his concern. He also didn't say, Raj, everything will, okay. will be okay, I'll be fine. Instead, for the next five minutes, he led me through one of the greatest Bible studies I've ever experienced from Romans 5, which he'd been praying through and pondering over that week. 
Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, he told me. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character, Raj, produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us or shame us. For God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. He eventually said to me, Raj, I am good. I am happy. I am strong. Jesus is joy. I always have Jesus. Jesus makes me strong. Over the years he'd been with us, God put an unwipable, eternal smile on my friend's face. Even today, this very same Farod, who we are in contact with regularly, is leading people to Christ, baptizing them in waterfalls and streams, setting up business, a new life, and allowing the joy news of Jesus to go viral in the midst of marked poverty and extreme danger. He changed me. Proximity, friends, works both ways. Fourthly, caring, encouraging, and in apostolic missional cultures, we all quickly make people into projects rather than Jesus' motivation of compassion and care. Recently, Simon and Jordi, a couple in our church, have befriended a Salvadoran family living in Middlesbrough. They had lots of basic needs. Simon and Jody took the time to ask questions, find out what they were lacking. And through the church, we managed to help them settle into their new home. Remember, this was, a, this was lockdown. Getting sorted was tough for this family that were new. Amongst the, amongst the list of their requirements was a guitar. Their son knew how to play and together the whole family worshipped. This was so important to them. This is what they missed most of all uh, about lo in lockdown. So Simon made it his mission to find one. And the week after he, del he delivered it, the family sent him short videos of all of them, children too, worshipping God and praising to their own music. If we want God's heart for an uh, ethnically diverse church, we need to be proactive about showing his love. And tender-heartedness. We need to be creative, especially in places where ethnic diversity is harder to find. It's a massive game of hide-and-seek, actually. Minority cultures often keep themselves to themselves. One of the big ways we do that in Jubilee is by serving asylum seekers and refugees. But in the midst of that, others see and tell their communities. In oral cultures, you see, news travels fast. Alpha is another amazing way of creating a space for cultures to eat together, show you care, share stories, explore and discover. I could go on all day. I could encourage you to engage your kids to walk over cross-cultural bridges too, as that also brings families together. I could exhort you to make your own stories, to share those stories, to allow your church, your communities, your MPs to hear those stories of victories, of setback, of faith exploits and of perseverance. But I'm going to nearly stop here. Are you excited about God's plan for multi-ethnic, multi-racial church where God transforms racism to gracism? I am. Let's finish with this last story. An Iranian Muslim guy started coming to Alpha. He loved the community and family feel. Anyhow, one day he attended one of our Sunday mornings too. 
someone brought a spiritual gift, the gift of tongues, and that was explained by one of the hosts. By the way, I didn't tell you, this guy only had one leg. And on hearing the explanation of the tongue, he started hopping jubilantly in the middle of an aisle with his crutches flying all over the place. We were all wondering what on earth was going on. And he told us the previous night he had been woken up and he was speaking in a language he'd never learnt before. It terrified him. He thought it was the devil, actually. But that morning he realised that Jesus was getting through to him. He was so thrilled that he had encountered the living God, not the devil. The next week he said yes on Alpha and made a commitment to God. Psalm 67 says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your, your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May all the peoples praise you, God. May the nations be glad and may they sing for joy. Jesus' building is multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-coloured, glorious church, a city on a hill, the hope of the world. Let's put our faith in his faithfulness. Mm -hmm.